Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. America is in the middle of a nationwide reckoning with police brutality and other injustices that have been carried out at the hands of of law enforcement. We continue to be reminded of the absolute conflict that is underway between many police departments uh, and African-American communities across the country. And now solutions that would have seemed too radical to be taken seriously just a few weeks ago are, are the subject of serious national debate. Defunding and dismantling police agencies, implementing community policing on a scale that we haven't seen in the past. We're starting to really see people dig into these ideas and ask real questions about whether they are possible and what they would look like. But there are ways, are there ways, to make sure that law enforcement actually serves the public and root out racism and violence without throwing out the entire system and starting from scratch. Police departments have been long criticized for lackluster training of new officers and lax background checks for new hires. Wayne State University's police department believes it has some of the answers when it comes to these problems, and it's now taking steps to share those training techniques with others. Wayne State is going to house the new National De-Escalation Training Center. It says the center will use a training method that is, quote, specifically designed for law enforcement officers providing special assessment and situational skills training that is noted to reduce conflict and avoid potential tragic scenarios for citizens and officers. Here to talk more about the National De-Escalation Training Center and the larger issues surrounding police training is Wayne State University Police Chief Tony Holt. Chief Holt, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be on the show. Yes. So let's talk about this de-escalation training center. And first, where the techniques that uh, you're going to be teaching there come from? What is it about Wayne State Police and your approach to these things that you want to share with the rest of the country? Well, yeah, I think there's no doubt that training is the key. You, you cannot hire a police officer, go through a basic academy, uh, do some in-service training, and you go on the road and you work. Training is, is ongoing if you really want this to work. And we think uh, de-escalation training uh, prevents situation from escalating to where you get aggressions or violence. And it, it re really is a situation where we did de-escalate before the situation becomes that aggressive or violence. Uh, it does not replace a use of force continuum. If, if deadly force is being used against you or the public, it does not replace that. But it tries to prevent that situation from getting out of control. Uh, some of the fundamentals are, you know, you want to be polite, professional. You must treat people with respect. Uh, depending on the situation, you take some verbal abuse. You be calm. You try to understand the point of view and position of the person. You, you have to make the person feel respected, that you're not taking away their dignity. And you have to explain what you're doing. And we don't want the person to feel that you're not being fair. And then you want to prevent options. So well, what is that? What's different? Is that any different than verbal, verbal judo? Yes. This is not a one-size-fit-all type of training. Now, we're basing this on what's called the DISC 
personality trait. Now, that type of training disc has been around a long time. <clears throat> Different government agencies, they use it, the insider threats. Some corporations have used it. And it's better than what's called verbal judo, where basically one size fits all. Because everyone is motivated and behaves differently based upon their personality. So this this training, you know, we, we are trying to train the officers of this center that has four basic personality types. Mm. And this training has been around for a long time. But what's different is another aspect of this called Escoterica, which divides these four main personality types or modalities into 26 different subcategories. And what that does, it'll show the officers in a short period of time when they approach a traffic stop, we get a call that somebody did something and they need to stop and investigate. And when they make that stop, it'll show them quickly how to recognize that personality type and then based on the situation, know how to de-escalate from there. Uh, so how will this de-escalation training center work? Uh, it is a national center. You hope to welcome police departments from all over the place. You know, training is expensive, especially when it comes to traveling, uh, taking officers from a different area, housing them. So we're going to have a, a national center here. Well, first of all, the number one, the number one option is to make sure all our officers in Wayne State Police are trained. And then we're going to set up regional training centers uh, in Florida, uh, North Carolina, California. Talks are in development now on doing that because what we want to do, we want to make sure we have a standard. And what we're doing here, we want to make sure this is a standard that goes out to other centers. And and how long has this been in the works? Is this something that is a reaction to these recent conversations about overhauling law enforcement, or has this been something you've been working on for a while? This is really a great question, Steve. This is something that really came to me two years ago. Uh, we didn't have the funding at that time. We were waiting for funding to be developed so we could start this training. And then last year, in November, I talked to the people who established this, and they said, hey, we're ready. Let's start this training. So that was based in November of uh, 2019. And then in January of this year, I sent several officers to Texas to start instructors training. And what was crucial with that is that they went to that training and they gave a law enforcement perspective what to expect. This is what happens at a traffic stop. Uh, this is what occurs. For example, we get a call to someone shoplift. He's down the street. You need to stop him. Uh, this is what occurs in a domestic violence situation. So we gave a real law enforcement perspective, and they were able to really tailor the, the training a little different to reflect that. That was in January. Then in early March, uh, the instructors or originators or the board of directors of this program came here to Wayne State University, and we trained two groups of officers in a three-day training. Uh, by this time, we had hoped to have every officer trained and out there with this product, testing it, and getting feedback from the community, what do they think about it. But what happened, of course, is COVID-19 uh, came in, and we had to delay the training. Uh, the government orders, the university directives on training, uh, social distancing, 
we could not continue. So this happened way. This is not a reaction to what happened in Minneapolis. This was in the works over a year, two years prior to that. Hmm. I also would love to get you to react to the shooting of Richard Brooks in Atlanta, which we have now seen the footage of many times, and they're starting to have some discussions about consequences in Atlanta for the for the police officers involved. Here you've got a man grabbing a taser from an officer and running away, and as the officers are giving chase, they, they shoot him in, in the back. Talk about the way in which you train officers as, as an antidote to this kind of behavior. I, I, I mean, obviously, this is not part of police training. This officer has already been fired and probably faces charges. But I, I wonder what you make of the failure there and the difference between perhaps the way that this officer and other officers in Atlanta were trained and what you're trying to accomplish here. Well, you know, it's tough to comment on how they're trained because I don't know how they were trained. Uh, I don't know what their standard is of the use of deadly force. But uh, when I look at the situation, it's very shocking to see someone shot in the back. Uh, he took the taser from the officer. Uh, I don't know if the taser was fully charged, if it was loaded, uh, I saw him point. At that point, I think the officer felt, I need to use force. Now, was there someone in front of this? Was, was the officer worried he was going to grab a citizen? I, I don't know. When, when I look at the situation and what I would like to see here or what I think officers would have done is that you, they made a stop, they knocked on the door, they had his license plates, I'm assuming they had his identification. They knew who he was. At that point, they had just a misdemeanor. Could he have just uh, let him go and gave chase and says, well, we have his vehicle. We know who he is. We know where he lives. And I'm assuming they had this information. Hmm. So was deadly force really necessary then? You know, still, still need information, an interview with the officer, the witnesses around there. Uh, do I think it was a deadly force uh, type situation? No, I do not. And and so I also want to have you talk a little about the gap that might exist between training and reaction. So if you want to be a police officer, you go and you are taught what the rules are and how to be effective in that job. But then you're out on the street and you're reacting to citizens and situations involving citizens. Is, it, is this about training in many instances, these, these overreactions that we see that result in, in brutal deaths and in large numbers of African-American men and women? Or is it about the, 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 the gap between training and and re reality the real world in, in other words could even the best trained officers be caught in these situations because of the kinds of things that police officers are asked to do and that they are unprepared in some other way to deal with the situation well you know it's, it's not training alone I, I think you have to go to the very beginning you have to start with the hiring process 
you have to you have to confront the fact that this bias is, is, is in here, and you have to talk about implicit bias, and then you have to have the discussion that you can't say everybody's bias free, but they're going to act upon that bias. And to me, in law enforcement, in supervision, it's a top-down type training. You know, not only do you have to put the training out there, but you have to get officers to buy into the training. And not only does the officer have to buy into the training, it has to be just from top down ingrained in them that this is the way we're going to do business here. <clears throat> and if you can't do business this way, you need to find another way to, to work. And it has to be more community involvement uh, in these situations here. For example, I hold a ComStat. It's a database um, method of patrol. We pick hotspots, and we see where the pattern of crime is, and then we look at what techniques can we put out there to address that rise or that that, that big area of crime. But I think it's a little different in my ComStat is I have the community right in with the meeting. Mm. You know, if you live in a community, you don't have to have a stat of what's going on. I don't have to say we had five robberies and we got a uh, pattern going. They live right there. They could tell you. So if if I have a ComSat meeting, I said we had a, a, a great last month of crime is down 50%. Well, the community, I remember telling me, I, I don't know where you're getting your sets from. That's not correct at all. This is what's going on. Uh, the crime might be unreported because people feel that nothing's going to happen when they call in. Uh, they feel that, yeah, I'll, you'll come in, you'll take a report, and you're gone. There's no follow-up action. So it's great when you have that community input right with you. Yeah. And it's great when you develop programs where the community might even ride with you on some situations. Yeah. Uh, my guest is Tony Holt. He is the police chief of the Wayne State University Police Force. We're talking about the new National Police De-Escalation Training Center that will be located at Wayne State, uh, helping other officers from around the country learn about the tactics that uh, they are taught here at Wayne State. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Where do you see potential for real change in the way that police interact with Americans and especially with people of color. Do you think police training could be a big part of this conversation? If so, what would you like to change in the way that police are trained? Also, what's your reaction to calls for defunding the police or dismantling police departments and reconstituting them around different principles than the ones that we have right now? Could you imagine a world where many of the things that police are called to do are done by other professionals, maybe mental health workers or social workers? Is that a good way to address these issues? If you want to join the conversation again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page or go to Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work those comments into our conversation as well. Uh, Chief Holt, before we get to listeners, I'm curious of, about your reaction to some of these proposals. Defund the police, dismantle the police. I think they are extreme in their rhetoric, but in substance, some of them are about reconstituting police departments to look different than what they are, to add some professional expertise that police don't have right now to the force. What's your, what's your, idea, what's your reaction to those uh, ideas? I, I think it's a good reaction because, to me, uh, 
when they say dismantle the police department, and I, I think it's not the extreme where, okay, no more police, community is going to take care of itself, uh, defund the police department. I don't think that means we, we're taking your budget away. But what I think it does, now we have to come to the table. Everybody's going to come to the table. We're going to take an in-depth look at how police department functions and how you respond to the community. Uh, we get lots of calls, homeless, sleeping in a bus shelter. Uh, I think it's going to change the concept where you just move along and say, hey, you, you move right now. Mm-hmm. Or we run a name check, you have a warrant, we're taking you to jail. I think it's going to be a different outlook on training like that. Uh, there's so many citizens out there with mental health issues where it's nowhere to go. And it's a lot that asking an officer, which is basic training, to go out there and deal with mental health. Uh, those with autism, uh, uh, when you're dealing with someone who is speech and hearing impaired, maybe he doesn't hear or understand your commands. Uh, maybe he's moving his hands around trying to get you to understand. This is a good opportunity now. We have professionals who work with us. Mm-hmm. It'd be great when we could have social workers say, well, we have a, a big problem with homelessness sleeping in the shelters or under the freeways, and we get calls. We need to move these people along. Would it be great to have these social workers or mental health professionals uh, come with you to these type of runs? First, you have to be able to make sure they're not in danger because that's not what they want to do. It would be great to have a system or some type of professionals with us who can help people get back up and get back in the system. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Chief Tony Holt of the Wayne State University Police Force. And we are going to get to your calls. Jay in Westland, John in Detroit, Karen in Rochester Hills will hear from you. You want to join them? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. We'll also get to some of the Facebook and Twitter comments we have. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. I'm Mary Zatina, WDET's general manager, with some facts and figures about our financial situation. WDET has 150,000 listeners each week. Only 8% of you support the station. Most of you don't financially support this service. As WDET faces a serious financial shortfall due to COVID-19 and its devastating impact, we need to raise $2 million before September 30th. If even half of you who have never given before make a first-time gift of $5 a month, we can meet our goal. Your donation can help change these numbers for the better. Please give at WDET.org. Thank you. This is Detroit Today on 101.9. WDET. Stephen Henderson, as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Chief Tony Holt of the Wayne State University Police Force. We're talking about the new National Police De-Escalation Training Center that will be located at Wayne State and how they hope to help share some of the techniques that they're using with police here at Wayne State with police forces around the country. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, as always, the number on the phones is 313 577 
1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there, and we will try to work them into the conversation. AJ on Twitter says Until the supposed good cops root out all the rot, they are just enablers and participants in the bad cops' actions. Individual cops are not the ones who need to be held exclusively responsible. Their departments are direct reflections of their worst actors. The police as an institution can only ever be as good as their worst actors. Let's go to Jay in Westland. Jay, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, Steve. Um, I, I really want uh, Chief Craig to listen to what I'm, what I'm uh, about to say here. Uh, the least thing a police officer in Europe thinks about at a traffic stop is getting shot. In the U.S., the first thing the officer fears is getting shot. You know why? Because of gun availability. Hmm. The police union all over this country can come together and say, we can't. We can't be policing a society that is more armed than us. The, the last time I read about the Second Amendment, it says a well-regulated militia. Officers in this country, please, don't shoot to kill. Shoot to disarm. Please. Yeah. Uh, Jay, I, I appreciate the call yeah. and I appreciate those sentiments. And I think that that gets to some really complicated dynamics. Uh, Chief Holt, what do we do about policing in a society where there are 350, 360 million guns in circulation? H- how do you train officers to, as, as you say, de-escalate situations when often their fear is that they will face gun violence themselves. In my department, we don't train officers to every traffic stop or every encounter with a citizen. Uh, you're looking at deadly force. So you have to approach the vehicle or walking up to the person that he's going to turn around and shoot you. And I'm well aware of that because, you know, several years ago I lost an officer who was shot in the head. And constitutional rights, people, are, people who have weapons, and majority of people who own weapons are very responsible gun owners. But, you know, we, have, we, we train safely how to approach a traffic stop. But I, I don't think that we have to come to the point where we walk up to a car on a red light violation, some other traffic, or a gun is sitting on the side, and we tell them to hold your hands up. I think we could, we could train safely how to do that. Uh, gun control is a hot issue right now, mm-hmm. very hot issue. And it's not going away. It's not going to be abolished. Uh, it's not going to be taken away from people. So the training sort of has to reflect that. Mm. Uh, and how you start off with a situation depends how it goes. You you can't start off at the top and then try to de-escalate down. You have to start at the lower end and go up depending on what takes place during the stop. You can't stop a car, get out, get on the ground, search the car, no gun. Now, okay, you get back in the car. Sir, this is why I pulled you over. doesn't work that way. You've already lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, Jay, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, V on Twitter says, does Chief Holt know if police departments ask recruits if they were turned down from the military? Also, do police departments ask former soldiers who are applying for work if they know the difference between being a soldier and being a police officer. There is a lot of discussion about the militarization of police departments. 
A lot of that is about equipment, but V's question is about personnel. How do you handle people who either were turned down from military service or people who are former soldiers and need to make a transition to to civilian policing? I I tell you right now, I sort of smile because I hope the public doesn't think that you fill out an application, ask a few basic questions, and you're in as a police officer here, we do an extensive background check. Uh, I think it does two ways. The, the group that does my background are investigators here. And one, they love to prove me wrong when I want someone. And they dig out information that's unbelievable that the person who we interviewed don't even think we will find out. We look at former, we don't just say, were you in the military? We want to know what did you do in the military? How was your record in the military? How were you discharged? Uh, This is a long process to get through the background check here. Uh, I I hired an officer, or at least one applied, who was uh, from Africa, and he was in the Army over there at 12 years old. I had great concerns because we asked him, how many fatal shootings were you in? And it was enough that we could not go forward here. Mm. So, yes, we, we look at that. We look at a, we, it's, it's a big difference between military and police work. Mm. We don't, we don't, we're not hiring you because of militarization and your technical training. That's not what I'm looking for here at all. Uh, I also wonder what you make of the discussion about policing on campuses. One of the things that people are talking about is, do we need police in all of the places that we have them? And one of the places that people say we don't need police in some cases is on college campuses. I remember 30 years ago when I was a student at the University of Michigan, uh, that was when the university decided to adopt a a deputized police force. And as a student, as an editor at the newspaper, uh, we lost our minds. Uh, we, our, our, our objections to that, I mean, there were, there were large demonstrations. We, I was writing editorials every day, it seemed, about the inappropriateness of having an armed police force on campus. Is that a discussion we should go back to? Is that a, a, an argument we ought to have right now? I, I don't know why that would really be a, a discussion. And I think you have to look at each individual and each university individually. Let's take a look at Wayne State. We're an urban campus. Uh, the west side of our, our, our Detroit or our campus cuts through the campus to go to the east side. Uh, the bus routes run right through our campus. We're an open campus. We're, we're not closed off. Uh, you don't go to an entry point to enter the campus. Uh, wherever campus is open to the public, and people who come here are students, the faculty and staff, not only do they come to school here, they live in the area. We don't consider ourselves campus police. Uh, Every one of our officers is sworn as Detroit police officers. We answer 80-85% of the calls for services surrounding the campus. uh, we do more assist work in terms of motorist assist, helping people lock out their cars, uh, uh, medical assistance, uh, re- re- responding to calls for services. Uh, I think it's a necessary operation. 
you, you talk about University of Michigan having a campus police department, but prior to that, you had Ann Arbor police patrol the campus. We did, and we had we had real problems with that as well. I think the question is about the 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 militarization of that police force. In other words, the arming of campus police when most of what they are asked to do is deal with with students who, for the most part, pose no harm. Uh, they, as you point out, they need they need help, and it is an armed force the right response to those things? Well, if you look at the active shooter situations, most of those have occurred on campuses. An active shooter situation is over within 7 or 12 minutes. So without an armed police department to respond to their use of deadly force, uh, what do they do? They sit in a car, they take cover, till you get the regional or the local police department to respond within a half an hour or longer. Can you imagine the damage or the deaths that would occur. Yeah. With today, uh, threats that's available on the college campuses and uh, throughout the country, uh, I don't know how you could do otherwise. Mm. Uh, if you look at our arrest totals and the type of calls we respond to them, very few are related to students. Okay. Chief Tony Holt of the Wayne State University Police Department, it is always great to talk with you. Thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. Okay, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk with State Senator Jeff Irwin, who is sponsoring legislation to overhaul the way police are trained all over the state of Michigan. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. John in Detroit, Karen in Rochester Hills, Dennis in Macomb. We will get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.